Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. Maybe you're new to New England and you've noticed lighthouses are something that pop up every once in a while. Um, Lighthouses are kind of a thing of the past, right? And it's New England, but it's an old thing about New England, right? You see them, if you go to... uh, if you go to Portland, Maine, there's a beautiful one. It's white with a black top. And I don't even know if it's still in use. So I did a little, little research into like what lighthouses are actually for and how they work. And I didn't realize this, but it's actually not just the light. It's not just this beam of light for boats and sailors in the dark and the fog being able to see where land is. But it's, it's the strobe effect of the light. It's the, the pattern of the light, even the color of the light and even the, the cool stripes or um, designs on the structure of the lighthouse tell you if you're going to the right port or actually if there's danger ahead. So now we have all this you know, sophisticated navigation equipment so sailors and uh, boaters uh, don't need to rely on lighthouses. Um, but imagine yourself back in the day and you're a sailor and you don't have all the fancy equipment and you've been sailing or boating for a really long time, you're running out of fuel, you're running out of steam yourself, you're running out of food on board the ship, and finally, in the dark, maybe through the fog, you see the beam of that lighthouse that you've been looking for, and it signals to you, this is home. We're almost there. We're going to receive rest. We're going to receive comfort. We're going to be able to recharge, literally refuel our boat. Um, you're about to be home. Uh, if you didn't have a lighthouse, um, if you were a sailor, if you were a boater, you would maybe be wandering for a really long time. Um, and, and imagine if you were out at sea and you were wandering and you had no idea where you were, you were just looking for something to bring you back home, right? And, and maybe, um, you know, if, if the worst case scenario, right, they become, it becomes a shipwreck right, this, this boat without a lighthouse, without knowing where harbor is, uh, becomes a shipwreck. Now, what does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with today? Well, I think um, many of us, a lot of times we feel like we're out at sea, we're being tossed about by the wind. I mean, the wind was just crazy today. Can you imagine being out on the water today and that kind of wind? And maybe you're just exhausted, you're fighting the elements, and you just want to be home. You want to be at rest. You want comfort. You want to be able to recharge. Um, in Ephesians 4, it, it says um, that there are those who are tossed about by every wind of doctrine. Maybe you look for new teaching. You look for new information about ways to find rest. And maybe you've been reading about, about mindfulness, about different techniques, about different ways that you can achieve rest in the midst of your hectic schedule. Um, we uh, are in danger a lot of times when we work too hard, when we work ourselves to the bone of shipwrecking, right? Of burning out, right? And that's what we fear. And that's some, for some people, that's what you experience even in college. Um, I, I know far too many stories of people burning out. And that's not what we want. What I want to share with you tonight is really, really good news. Um, God is inviting us into his rest, into home. 
into his harbor where he gives us rest. Not just, just a new technique, not just a new uh, way of thinking, but deep spiritual rest. So tonight we're going to look at this in three different ways. Uh, first, God is at rest. Second, we are not. <laughs> a lot of the times. Third, God is inviting you to rest in him. So very simple. God is at rest. We are not. God is inviting you to rest in him. First, God is at rest. So we're in the second chapter of Genesis. The, the, the chapter kind of divides this narrative of the story of creation where there's this framework given for six days of creation. At the end of every day, there was, as there was evening and there was morning, it says that God saw that it was good. And when he made man and woman, he said that it was very good. And then you come to chapter two and it starts off and it says, and then the seventh day, um, God finished his work. He completed his labor. The word finish shows up twice in these first two verses. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And then the second verse, on the seventh day, God finished the work that he has done. And just to clarify, if this confuses you, like, wait, does this mean God on the seventh day had some loose ends to wrap up and he actually didn't complete the work on the sixth day? Or did he finish this on the, it's, it's better by the seventh day, he had finished. He had completed his work. And so on the seventh day, he ceased his work. Um, kind of a working definition for rest. We're, we're using that you know, so often. What does it mean? Ceasing work. Stopping work. Stopping your daily labor, that which is necessary in your life. It means uh, ceasing it. It means stopping it. Why did God... We all know that we need to stop work, we need to rest, we need to recharge, we need to refuel. But why did God need to rest? Why did God stop? Was it because he was tired? This is a good question. That sounds like just a, like a kid's question, but it's a really good question. Um, so theologians, when they try to uh, establish doctrine, like what is true about God, they look at all of Scripture and they say, this is what all of Scripture tells us about God. And one, uh, uh, it's called a catechism. It's just like a way of kind of, through questions and answers, teaching the doctrines of all of Scripture, summarizing what we know about God. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question four, asks this, what is God? And it says this, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, Holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. This is a good one to memorize. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So God does not grow tired. If he has infinite energy, if he has infinite power, he is not resting out of fatigue, out of necessity. God does not begin or end. He is eternal. He's not worried about burning the candle at both ends because he is, there is, he is, um, he has always existed. He is eternal. And maybe most pertinent to um, tonight, he does not lose his way. He's unchangeable. He does not lose his purpose. He doesn't lose his mojo. He's unchangeable. 
Another way to say this is that he is at rest. God is at rest. And this is a paradox for us because in John 5, Jesus says, I am working and so is my father. We have always been working. So how does God both work and rest? Well, he's not like us. He's infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. The seventh day is a really important day to pay attention to because if you look back in chapter one, at the end of every day, it says there's evening and there's morning. And what do you see here? You don't see that. It doesn't say there is evening. It doesn't say that there is morning. This is telling us something that this seventh day has a spiritual significance. It's a theological significance. This is pointing us to a higher meaning, a deeper meaning. It's talking about the eternal rest of God. That after God created the heavens and the earth, after God created uh, humans, the pinnacle of his creation, he entered into a, an eternal rest. And he is in that state of rest now. So the language in this passage is strikingly similar to um, when Moses, who's given the instructions to build the first temple or the, the tabernacle at the time uh, for God. And, and it says that when Moses was finished, he had given all these instructions to all the builders and all the workers. And it says, and Moses had completed his work and he, and he rested. He uses similar language. And in the ancient Near East, whenever they uh, would write things about gods and temples, they used similar language as well. That on the last day when it was complete, that the God rested. And so what this tells us is that God is not just resting, stopping from a distance. He is dwelling in his temple. Can you imagine if you, if you built a house with your own hands, how great it would be to sit in that chair and eat your first meal. He is dwelling. He is enjoying. He is celebrating this temple of his glory, which is his creation. So he inhabits um, his temple. I, I mentioned the lighthouse at the beginning. Um, this may seem obvious, but the critical thing about a lighthouse is that it doesn't move. <laughs> that it's not on water. Can you imagine like a, like a lighthouse to go, like, you know, on a, on a truck bed or something? Like, you know, you want to know that that lighthouse is the same <laughs> yesterday, today, and always, right? Um, you want to know that it's not going anywhere, right? Which is why they're made out of stone and concrete and they're permanent, Right? It's at rest, because when you're on the sea, you're anything but at rest. You're moving. Everything is changing. Even, you know, like tides change beaches all the time. Like the shoreline changes. Like so much else changes. You can't always see the stars uh, through, through the clouds. But you want that lighthouse to be at rest, right? In the same way, it's a really good thing that our God does not change. He does not move. He is never exhausted. He's never tired. He never runs out of energy or patience from hearing from his children, praying to him, crying out to him. He is always ready, full of infinite and eternal 
love. So if God is at rest, then he is a safe harbor from our unrest. Let's talk a little bit about how we are not at rest. Uh, Jimmy and I have been noticing the Monday.com ad campaign that's going on right now. You might have seen it on billboards or buses or even I think they had a Super Bowl spot. But Monday.com is this productivity like uh, software like for, for uh, companies that really want to want to do things, you know, and so, so their tagline is work without limits, right? And, and the, the, the TV commercial is just like, you know, this really creative, you know, like, oh, it's just pushing the boundaries of work. And it's just, oh, my goodness, we can just break the shackles that we have. And now we can really work without limits, you know, to infinity. It's kind of the idea. Um, this is the way we think about work, and this is sometimes what we want. We want work without limits. We want to be able to uh, do it all the time. We experience that a lot. Work without limits, work on your phone, work in your bed, right? Your phone just means work is everywhere a lot of times. Um, Totally different story, I'll tie the two together. You'll understand why I'm bringing this other story up. (laughs) Several years ago, my family and I were were, were touring Germany, and we were right outside of Munich, and we went to Auschwitz, and it's a concentration camp. And the gate of Auschwitz uh, has these words in big capital letters, Arbeit macht frei. And that translated means work sets you free. It's a concentration camp where thousands of Jews were brought in to work and they were not set free. The question I want to raise is, does work set you free? Does pursuing work without limits, does pursuing your, your goals and the things that you want to achieve in life, if, if you, all you need to do is just take away the limits, all you need to do is get rid of this obstacle of sleep or whatever it is that you feel like is in your way, does that set you free? See a head shaking. No, I would agree. I would agree. No. Uh, do you ever think that the, sometimes the, the reason we feel imprisoned, the reason we feel kind of captive to our work, uh, because it can't set us free. The reason we can't stop working is because we're not free to. There's something that has captured us. We're not free to. Where am I getting this? Well, I think Romans 8 is another good place to go for this. Romans 8 says, For the creation, which God made, uh, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, which is referring to Adam, Adam and Eve who who sinned, um, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage, its imprisonment, to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So what this is saying here is that when sin entered the world, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, that the entire creation became in bondage, that it was captured, that it was enslaved to sin. And this means that everything is different 
the world and everything in it is not at rest, not as it should be. It's in bondage to corruption, as Romans 8 said. And so, so there are two different dimensions of this. I think often we think of sin as just the, these discrete acts that we do, right? This is where we get, you know, going to confession or wanting to list every single sin you committed in your prayers. Because if we don't list them all, then we won't be forgiven. Um, sin is actually, and, and I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but sin is actually much larger and more expansive than that. What Romans 8 teaches us is that all of creation is affected by sin. It's corrupted by sin. That means even our bodies uh, can be corrupted by sin. And, and um, th- this means that all sickness and disease and illness ties back to the Garden of Eden and sin. I'm not saying that um, those who are sick are guilty, and this is God's punishment. I'm not saying that. Um, but I am saying that the root cause goes back to the Garden of Eden and sin. And yet we do make choices that lead us to unrest. Um, whether it's ignoring our bodily need for sleep. I've been there. For not stewarding our time well. Of being too prideful to admit our limits, accept the boundaries that we have as humans. Uh, the deepest parts of ourselves are not at rest because, to get back to the harbor and lighthouse idea, we've been steering ourselves elsewhere. We haven't been steering ourselves home. We've been looking at other lighthouses and steering ourselves there. And friends, when we get to that harbor, those other places that we think we're going to find rest in our lives, we will find that it's not home, that we are still prisoners. Uh, maybe you've experienced that when, you, when you, you get to that place that you think you want and you experience the letdown. Maybe you've experienced the shame and the darkness that you feel after watching pornography Maybe you've experienced the immediate sense of insecurity and guilt that you feel after you've engaged in a gossip session where you've talked and you just tore apart someone that you know. And then you immediately realize, wow, my friends could be doing this to me when I'm not here. Maybe you've, uh, you've skipped church, you've skipped your, your, your time with God and prayer and the word because you've got too much work to do, right? You just don't have time. And this leads you further and further, not to a sense of accomplishment, not to a sense of peace and security where you can finally, okay, now I can finally go to church. It's summer, right? <laughs> we never get there, right? It, it's, it's, um, it's always on the other side. It's always moving. It's always, the, the goalpost is always moving. Um, and and I, I give these examples not to heap on shame at, at all. I, I give them because I have been there. Uh, this, is, this is a part of my own story. But guys, God is not like that. God is at rest. And better yet, it's not just that he's at rest and we can admire that. No, he comes and he sets us free. 
My third point is God is inviting you to rest in him. Let's look at the third verse. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work and all that he had done in creation. So I mentioned before that there's this deeper theological meaning to the seventh day. Right? When we see this, we're like, oh, yeah, that's where we get Sabbath, Sunday. Yeah, it makes sense. Christians, let's go to church, right? No, that's not the end of this story at all. Um, he blesses it, right? He blesses the day and he makes it holy. Later in the history of God's people, we see God give these commandments on Mount Sinai to Moses. And the fourth commandment was, remember the Sabbath day and make it holy. You know, as made in the image of God, we are supposed to be like God. Make it holy, bless it, set it apart for worship. For, for uh, the, the Jewish people, it was Saturday. Have you ever wondered, why do Christians have the Sabbath on a Sunday? Well, it's because Good Friday is when Christ was crucified, and it was Sunday that he resurrected. And this is what we call the Lord's Day. This is our new Sabbath. And Jesus' resurrection and God's rest here in Genesis 2 are connected. How? When Jesus was resurrected, he burst the bonds of death. As the great song says, he burst the bonds of death. He said, death, the consequence of sin, hell cannot overcome me. You don't own me. He burst the bonds. He broke free from it. There's a hint of this and all the way back in Psalm 107. It says, Some sat in darkness in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. The work of God right now is bursting bonds, breaking chains. The work of God in Christ, by faith in him, We receive that freedom. He breaks the chains. But we're not prisoners that are just set free to just wander and try to figure things out. No, we're prisoners that are welcomed home. We are welcomed into the eternal rest of God. We are welcomed into the seventh day for our souls right now. This is not just a future hope. It's one day going to be fully accomplished in the end, but it is a present reality for us spiritually. That means in our souls, we can live into that experience. How do we live into that? How do we experience that eternal rest of God? Well, it's in worship. It's in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. It's in prayer. It's in living our lives together. It's in God's word. It's not just the seventh day. It's 24-7, 365 the rest of our lives until we finally enter into our eternal rest with God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good news that you are at rest. Lord, our souls are not. 
and we long to experience more and more of the rest of God in our hearts. We pray that this would be true for everyone in this room. We pray that this would be true for this campus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.